Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross. For 80 years, Capital Blue Cross has offered products that provide peace of mind and promote good health. Focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Health and Wellness Centers that provide in-person service and inspire healthy living. Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross. Live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by the team of cardiologists, surgeons, nurses, physicians assistants, and rehabilitation specialists from Pinnacle Health Cardiovascular Institute, part of UPMC Pinnacle, delivering a broad range of traditional and highly specialized procedures. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Plans for your Thanksgiving dinner are probably coming together, but we hope to give you a few di- ideas to think about today. You can always add a little something or different, and that's why we have a Thanksgiving tradition on Smart Talk. Three days before the big day, Chef Donna Dusfor, who hosts Now That's a Mouthful podcast, WITF cooks TV shows, and owner of There's a Chef in My Kitchen, joins us to share recipes and ideas. We also would like to hear your suggestions or stories about holiday traditions or experiences. one 800 729 532 is the number to call or send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. Chef Desfour, welcome back to the program. Thanks. It's great to be here. We were just uh, talking off the air about how long it's been. I think you've been on the program. We kind of come came to the conclusion it's been like eight years, something like that. I started when I was 12. You were and I, 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 I'll, I'll believe you were that. Forty, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I'd even take that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot has changed over over the years. I mean, uh, I'm just this is doing the introduction. I was thinking, okay, uh, we're doing the podcast now. Now that's a mouthful, and in fact, we're going to mention that a lot today. Some of the ideas that uh, we got from cookbooks over the past year or so that uh, could be uh, part of your. Thanksgiving dinner come up uh, Thursday. But I also wanted to start with some of the basics. Right. Some of the basic questions because I think there are a lot of people out there that don't think about these things except, oh, Thanksgiving's in three days. <laughs> I still have my turkey in the freezer. Get it out now. <laughs> That's right. Just, just hit pause. So Go get it. Let's ask, I'll ask a, a few of the basic questions, and then we'll get into some ideas for, for Thursday as well. All right. Size of the bird. Size matters. I know that. I do know that. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So, you know, there's a couple schools of thought. Um, They always say a pound, a pound and a half of meat per person. So, you know, if you have 12 people, you need a minimum of a 12 pound bird. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I just, I hate to buy like really big birds. If you're having 20 people, a 20 pound bird is a Really that's, big a big, turkey. that's a big that's a big turkey. Yeah. I don't even know how you would lift that out of the roasting pan. Um, so you know, conventional wisdom these days is buy smaller birds. If you have twenty people, if you have thirty people, you know, if you have the whole family coming over, buy two smaller birds. Uh, you know, I was talking to a, a girlfriend last night, and she said, you know, we only like the dark meat. So she goes out and she just buys the turkey thighs, and she'll get the legs, and and she roasts those down, and then everybody has what they like. So, you know, buy what you need, but if, if really if you're going to be pushing that 20-pound threshold, uh, I, I would definitely split it, split it into, you know, two smaller birds. I mean, and the only reason is, is in order to cook your turkey to a temperature where it keeps the breast meat moist, it keeps everything tender and delicious, uh, you don't want it cooking for hours and hours and hours. And, uh, you know, the larger the bird, obviously, the larger your, or the longer amount of time you're going to have to keep it in the oven, so... Okay, you mentioned uh, keeping uh, the turkey moist. And again, I said I would be asking some basic questions. How do you do that? If there is a complaint about turkey, it is if it is dry. Right. So you start by baking it properly or roasting it properly. I always start my turkeys, my chickens upside down. Um, you know, so you want to you know give that that bottom side where all that dark meat is, where all that fat is, where all those bones are. You really want to give 
that time to cook at a really high heat. And what happens is that fat starts to render out, those bones start to, you know, give off their marrow inside, and it's all falling down into that breast meat and, you know, which is the leaner cut. So I always start my my birds at about 425 on a convection setting. So that's about 450 if you don't have a convection setting. Upside down, I always like to st- um, you know stuff some citrus and some herbs up. It's it's uh, yeah. How, how, do, how do you nicely say up from its behind bum, yeah. you know, in its cavity? Um, but you know, do it for about 30 minutes, 45 minutes until you see that nice crispy exterior. Pull it out of the oven very carefully, and it's again, you know, if you don't, you don't want a really heavy bird. But you know, take a, a bunch of tea towels or kitchen towels or wads of uh, paper towels. Flip that bird over. Uh, maybe you know, put a little seasoning on top, or slide some butter or you know, seasoning underneath its skin, and pop it back in the oven. And then you know, twenty minutes per pound at that point um, is is a good idea. Lower your oven temperature to about three fifty. So. Cover or uncovered? I always cover it to start and then uncover it in the end just to crisp that skin up. Now, you know, a lot of people say, no, they never do that. They get the crispy skin. But, you know, when you pull it out, you have to let that bird rest for at least like, a minimum of 20 minutes, a minimum. And you're going to tent it with foil. So once you do that, any crispy skin that you've achieved sort of starts to get flabby. Now, the other thing that we discovered um, through the podcast, now that's a mouthful, and talking to another girlfriend last night who actually had Thanksgiving on Saturday for her family of 20, she cooked her turkey in advance. She uh, she said it was a 20-pound bird. She cooked it, sliced it down, and then she used the sous vide method. That's the immersion circulator where you put your food into bags and then you, immer- you immerse it in a water bath. But that water bath is at a, uh, a specific temperature that you want to achieve throughout the, the food. So she reheated her already cooked turkey in these um, waterproof bags, brought it up to temperature. She did that with the drippings inside the bag. So everything got reinfused, put it in a chafing dish. She said it was the best turkey they had this year. And on the podcast, we talk about the sous vide, uh, the sous vide cookbook. It's called Sous Vide at Home. And you can go on now that's a mouthful.org and you can search the cookbooks and you'll find Sous Vide at Home. But you can see how this method works. It's pretty spectacular. So, you know, you either let that turkey rest for a really long time, all the juices go back into the meat, or you opt for the sous vide method. Mm. By the way, this is a program where we would like to hear from you. Best turkey you've ever had. Or maybe I should say best turkey you've ever made. Eh, we'll go we'll go a little further. Both, yeah. One eight hundred seven two nine seven five three two. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF dot org. You can go to WITF's Facebook page or on Twitter, we are at SmartTalk WITF. So again Give us a call. We'd like to hear from you. This is one of those programs we'd like to hear a whole lot from you. Best turkey out there. And again, talk about your traditions, other things you just like to talk about, all things Thanksgiving today. I want to hear what's the best spin on that horrid green bean casserole. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the things that uh, we always talk about on this, this program before Thanksgiving, and actually any holiday we do, is anything different. Now... You mentioned me before today's show, and as we were preparing this, you said that, uh, you know, the the podcast, now that's a mouthful, has given you a whole lot of ideas. Now, what this is, it's a podcast uh, with cookbooks that uh, we ask our our testers out there to, uh, you know, to test these recipes and then get the response to, to, to talk about it. But some of the, the ideas in the podcast that would be good for Thanksgiving, Any you're, are you going to incorporate any this year? I am. And, you know, the thing is, is like what you said, the, the podcast is a conversation. So in speaking with these people in our testing community and getting their ideas, getting their feedback, I found myself just in the last week, we had, um, we had a bunch of friends over last night for an open that bottle dinner. And I'm thinking, okay, well, getting ready for Thanksgiving, you know, I've got all this stuff. I've got butternut squash. I got kale. I have Brussels sprouts. Like, how do I start pulling all of these things in? And how do I make a regular dinner in from what I have, but then also get ready for Thanksgiving? So I just kept going back to to the podcasts, the recipes. I was like, 
wow, you know, kale. I was going to do a kale salad, but uh, there's a wonderful recipe from your favorite cookbook called The Naked Cookbook. And it's a ribboned kale salad with nectarines and a tamari dressing. And I was like, okay, well, nectarines not really in season, but that whole kale salad and then that tamari dressing is spectacular. It's like a soy-based uh, dressing, but it's got ginger and garlic and a little bit of honey and a little bit of chili pepper. And it's just fabulous, a little toasted um, sesame oil. So, you know, you get this really rich umami flavor and then you get that really earthy kale so I was like, okay, well, I could shred some Brussels sprouts and toss that in. And the recipe calls for red and green cabbage. But I was like, yeah, not, you know, I don't really want to go there for Thanksgiving. So I got some Napa cabbage. This salad turned out absolutely delicious. And then I served it with roasted beets, which, of course, will be on the menu for anyway. Thanksgiving because I'm about the only one that likes roasted beets. But yeah, so. Really? You're the only one? Well, in my family, yeah. Ah, okay. and, and mushrooms, too. Well, my husband likes mushrooms. But everybody else now. Yeah. So, you know, so you go back and, you know, okay, okay, what do you have? What do you like? And you start pulling things that you've used all year long, but now you just bring them up to, you know, to your, to the season and to the event, which is Thanksgiving. So, you know, flavors like bacon, flavors like maple syrup, apple cider, um, you know, apple cider vinegar, and you start wrapping all of those flavors into your sautés, to your roasts, to um, your vegetables, whatever you're doing, just a little a, a little change really can spark up the flavor and get the conversation around the table. Everybody's going to be looking around saying, hey, this is a little different, but quite delicious. What'd you do? You know, what you're describing, I know there are a lot of people out there who are getting ideas now about uh, what they could do on Thursday. But this is one of those holidays that tradition means so much that, yes, probably there are people at the table who would like something different and say, oh, that is really good. But then there are others who say, oh, it has to be the exact same right. way every year. So we have to get those people to uh, kind of change up a little bit. Well, you know, if you remember the last couple of years, we've been hearing more and more from our listeners and they say the same thing. They're like, I make the regular traditional recipe and then I make it the way I want to. And, you know, nine times out of 10, everybody's like, oh, your way is better. But still make that the, the you know the, the regular green bean casserole so you know yeah tradition has a place on our table and you don't want to you know you don't want to not have that there but really um there's so many great foods available to us now there's so many great flavors and seasoning agents and yeah i mean it used to be you'd go to the grocery store and the only kind of vinegar you could find was white vinegar mm-hmm. and now i mean there's like a whole range i the some of the stuff that i brought in today um the onions that i caramelized when i was done caramelizing them i used a maple balsamic vinegar so you get this wonderful rich tang of the balsamic vinegar but it's got these it's <laughs> just wonderfully sweet maple syrup notes to it it's fantastic yeah and it does taste great and we'll talk Thank about you. what you brought in today as well let's uh, take a call from albert in harrisburg albert you're on the air hello albert listen to the phone i know he's there because i can hear us in the background hi albert albert Okay. Maybe he's stirring or or roasting or. There he is. Hey, hey, Albert, listen to us on the phone. Hello. Okay, there Hi, you go. Albert. There you go. Uh, so, what's on your mind? Well, <clears throat> we do our turkey in a roaster oven. A roaster oven. Oh, you mean like yeah. the, the big the pans with its own lid? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah the yeah, pan yeah. with the, with their own lid. Yeah. So we were wondering, uh, how long would you do a twenty pound turkey in that, or what would you put it in upside down, or how, how would you do it? I would still put it in upside down. I, you know, again, I would start that high heat. Um, uh, you know, high heat like four twenty five, four fifty, um, and maybe a half hour, forty five minutes, and and really pull that turkey out at least an hour before you're going to roast it, let it come to room temperature. Because remember, those bones are going to hold on to that coldness. Um, so yeah, cover it with your the, the roasting pan or the roasting oven. Turn it, or turn it upside down, then cover it. Um, give it a good half hour, 45 minutes. Pull that lid off, flip the bird, and then put that roaster oven back or the, the lid back on. And then maybe not 20 minutes per pound because you're basically going to be convecting it inside of that pan. 
but I would maybe drop it down to like 16, 15 minutes per pound from that point forward. And then take the, the lid off, see what the skin looks like, uh, take a take a temperature um, and you know, see if you're ready to go. If you have a little thermometer popper that pops up, see if it's popped and, and you're good to go. Any other questions, Albert? <laughs> and um, no, I oh, guess. Okay. I guess. Well, have, you, have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, bye. All right, thank you Thanks, very much Albert. for your call. My mom used to do that. She had one of those big roasters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The big blue ones. Well, ours was sort of like black speckled. Well, ours was blue speckled. Yeah, okay. I okay. thought they were the most popular. Maybe blue was, maybe ours was just used so many years. I don't know. Maybe it was when I grew up. <laughs> yeah, like when dinosaurs. Yeah, were really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dinosaurs with the pilgrims at first Thanksgiving, right. you know. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. You're, I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, committed to research that improves health, reduces recovery times, and brings new treatments and therapies to our area before they're available elsewhere. More information is at upmcpinnacle.com. Welcome back to Smart Talk. Three days before Thanksgiving, Chef Donna Desfour is with us today. We're talking about Thanksgiving dinner, holiday traditions. If you have a question or a comment, comments especially and still looking for uh, some answers to that question best turkey you've ever made or best turkey you've ever tasted how it was made give us a call 1-800-729-7532 send an email to smarttalk at witf.org let's go to bill in lancaster bill i know you always have some good ideas for this show this particular show about thanksgiving so what's on your mind well this morning good first of all good morning morning and donna Uh, no ideas or anything, but uh, the time is coming when I have to start brining the turkey. Yes. And, uh, of course, the best turkey that I've ever had is when it's brined. Mm-hmm. Well, my question for Donna is, when you brine a turkey, what do you recommend for the amount of salt, sugar, and water? Oh, okay, ratios. Hmm. I probably would have to go back and look and see what I normally do. Um, I believe the salt and sugar, I mean, personally... When I do my brines, uh, I try to keep the salt a little bit, uh, a little bit less than the sugar. And here's why: um, the salt is what eventually causes that brining to reverse itself. And, and you know, and the whole idea of the brining is the salt draws all of the natural juices up to the surface. So the brine should have lots of flavorful um, heart spices and and delicious things like um, uh, cloves, cinnamon, um, peppercorns, um, onions, any kind of aromatics you can put in there, um, any kind of hard spices. But once all those juices come to the surface, which is what the salt does, then they absorb those flavors, the spices, the sugar, a little bit of that salt, and then they return back into the meat or the bird in this case. So that's great. But if you you know, if you extend that that brining process, that that time window, um, and you know, and again, it's going to depend on how big your turkey is. But if you miss that mark, then all the juices start leaving the the turkey, and they're not ever going back in. So you know, you, you you've got one shot to get those juices all flavored and and aromatics and the fl- seasonings back into the the meat. And then you need to be done. So that's why I always tend to go a little less on the salt and, um, uh, you know, keep the sugar at at whatever recipe you're using. Because with a little less salt, you have a little more play and a little more range of time. So Yeah, that's what I've noticed, too. A lot of the recipes, they use almost twice the salt to the sugar, and it's just way too salty. So I cut it back to about equal or a little less on the salt. But how long do you normally brine them for? Um, you know, again, it depends on the size of the turkey. Um, so, you know, some people, 12 hours, some people will say 12 hours. I I, I try to, you know, get that brine going, uh, you know, the night before, and then I let it go until I'm ready to take it out and get the, the turkey ready. Now, it's in a cold solution. It's in, uh, you know, some kind of cold storage. So uh, usually around 12 to 14 hours is, is how long I'll, I'll let it go. And then I just take it out. 
and, you know, give it a little rinse and then let that turkey come to room temperature before I start cooking it. So you The are- other thing I like to throw in is... Uh, a little orange peel or yes. lemon peel or something, yes. some citrus. Yes, that's citrus is amazing. And, you know, and if you don't have any fresh citrus, um, you know, look in your uh, look in your spice pantry because sometimes uh, you can find things like lemon pepper and then that will work. But, yeah, fresh citrus is amazing. And it's all those um, those oils that are coming out of the, the skin that just permeate the, the meat. It's delicious. Yeah, and, of course, when you brine it, it's juicier, too. Yes, it's fabulous. Hey, Bill, you have a good holiday, okay? You, too. Nice Thank you. And I leave you with you. this thought. Come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least that bird's still alive. All right, let's go to Colleen and uh, Carlisle. Colleen, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, morning Colleen. Good morning. So here's what we do. We grew a very country bumpkin family. We cook our turkey in a, outside underneath a garbage can. And here's how you do it. It's I very easy. Say, yeah, you, you, get a, you get a brand new, you get a brand new garbage can, not a huge one, like a mid-sized garbage can. You have to burn the galvanize out of it first, so you, right. you know, have a fire right. and burn all that out. Then what you do is you put some tin foil on the ground, and you have to make yourself a stand so this mm-hmm. so the turkey stands up. Right. So you put the tin foil down. You put the stand on top of it, and then I use a bunt pan so it catches all the dripping. Oh, right. Put the bunt pan over it. Then you set the turkey on top of it. Then you put the garbage can over top of it, and you use about half a bag of charcoal. You start. Um, you have a ring of charcoal around the base, around the outside of the of the can. You put about ten pieces of, car- of charcoal on the top and let it go. In two and a half hours, it's done. That's Perfect. what size turkey do you use? It, it, any size has worked. Really? Not a mid sized turkey, but we've used any size turkey and it works in two and a half hours. I don't know how it works. So it's with any size, well, but it works perfect. So I mean, it sounds like basically a, a beer can chicken kind of setup, which is genius because you say you get all the drippings, but you keep all that steam and you know all Absolutely. those you know all that good charcoal. And, oh and my gosh! And the best part of it all is it frees up your oven. Right. So now you have your oven for everything else you want to bake or even just keep warm. Right. Whatever. But you put it outside, you let it go, and I'm telling you, two and a half hours. That's perfect. And it's great. It's simple, and it's great. And then if you want to make a glaze or something, you can put some, you know, once you cut it up, you can put some glaze on it or whatever. It it, it works perfect. Colleen, I have a couple questions for you. How did you get started using the garbage can for that? And number two, do you have any pictures that you could send to us? Well, I don't have any pictures, but there are videos of it. There's plenty of people who do it. Um, so if you got on YouTube, if you just type in garbage can turkey, you'll find videos I'm for it. I'm going to okay. do that. Um, but I got turned on to it from my father. Mm-hmm. And so they've been doing it for uh, for years. I mean, they're out in Jersey. I'm out here in, in Pennsylvania now. But they've been doing it for years. In fact, I think this year we're going to have two turkeys going. And That's it's just, but on some of the videos you'll see online, just keep it simple. I mean, people, you know, they start getting real fancy with it. Keep it simple. Right, right. Garbage can, a ring of charcoal. Right. And But the one thing I do different, like I said, is I put a bunt pan underneath it. And you so get it all those all the juices. Right, yeah, yeah that's perfect. And it's, it's fantastic. And like I said, the best part is it frees up your oven. Wow. You've got your oven for everything else. Mm. And, you know, there are never enough ovens yeah. come Thanksgiving Day. Hey, Colleen, thank you very much for your call, and have a great holiday. Happy Thanksgiving. You too. Thank you so much. Mm. That's pretty ingenious. It is. And that's the first time we've heard that on, on the show. Yeah. We always learn something uh, during during the show. I like the idea. I mean, uh Make sure you get that galvanized part out of it. Yeah, but you know when you think about it, we've talked about um, smoking turkeys for years. We've talked about uh, grilling turkeys and deep frying. Right. So you know this. I mean, obviously makes sense. Why not do a turkey the same way you would do a beer canned chicken? And yeah, saving all the catching all those drippings in a bun pan is genius because then whatever you want to do with them, whether it's just baste the turkey before you serve it or use that as a base for a gravy, why not? Quick question before yes. we go back to the phone, because I see we do have a lot of uh, phone calls, but we need more. 1-800-729-7532. Uh, I didn't want to leave the program without uh, discussing this, because I promised that I would. Uh, people are really, just an observation, seems as though they are much more in tune with pairing their wines, which they've always done, but also beers with yes. their their Thanksgiving dinners. So, first of all, Again, a basic question. Turkey, what wine? Well, 
Um, you know, the the, convent, the the classic answer is a Pinot Noir because it sort of bridges the, the gap between, uh, you know, full-bodied, it's not a full-bodied wine, and then light-bodied, it's not really a light-bodied wine. It's sort of in the middle. It's got a lot of um, earthiness, which pairs, of course, with all of the root vegetables and everything else you have on your table and the meatiness of the turkey. But it also has an, enough fruit that it's, you know, it's going to be a nice counterpoint. Um, if you like white wine, Riesling. We talked about Riesling um, in episode 15 of Now That's a Mouthful. And, you know, we really talked about how a food-friendly wine that is, whatever you're eating, Riesling, is a wonderful uh, is, a, is a wonderful choice. And then, you know, if you don't want to drink Riesling or, or then whatever you like, I mean, uh, champagne, if you're celebrating with your family, open up some, some bubbles. Um, or, you know, if you're not into wine, then go the spirit route. And, you know, bourbons are, are wonderful with all of those amazing cask flavors. You know, you'll hear them describe them as toasted or oaky now, or they're in sherry casks, all of those things that are just going to, you know, blend seamlessly into, um, you know, very earthy kind of meal. And when I say earthy, I mean, we're talking root vegetables, potatoes, sweet potatoes, um, you know, beets, uh, you know, green beans, not a root vegetable, but they have a certain herbaceous or earthiness to them. Um, you know, and then turkey, of course, is, you know, that meaty, that um, not quite gamey, but turkey's got a little bit of a funk to it. So, uh, you know, again, your bourbons are wonderful. And then beer. Well, you always well, have there's a- so much to choose from today. And it's yeah. not traditionally what people would have with Thanksgiving dinner, but because well, craft beers are so popular. It is. Today. And it's such an interesting movement. So, you know, I mean, you can choose everything from pumpkin beers to, you know, orange flavored beers to. Um, but I I would always choose the, the ones that, that rely on like the grain the malts, the barleys, the wheats, because that's what's really going to go counterpoint to counterpoint, you know, stand up to what you're serving on the table. Um, And, you know, if you really want to have some fun, get a couple different ones to try and then try them side by side. That is the easiest and best way to ever figure out what you're going to like or what you want to drink with whatever meal you're serving. Just keep them away from the kids' table. Yes, and take an Uber. Yeah. Uh, Mike is in Lancaster. Mike, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. Good morning, good morning Mike. Good morning, Chef. Good morning, Scott. So uh, your question was, what's the best turkey we ever made? Um, the one I'm proudest of was three years ago, 2014. Some friends and I who were, at the time, living in New York State, uh, we'd gone apple picking and then made apple butter, mm. and then on a complete lark, just as a whim, when we had the turkey, we mixed the apple butter half and half with rendered bacon fat, rubbed that all over the turkey, and then uh, on the breast, rubbed it under the skin, and then just roasted the thing in the normal uh, oven way, and it was just magnificent. It, it sounds that way. tasting thing. <laughs> It was juicy, it was moist, it was succulent, it was magnificent. Well, and Mike, you know you can't go wrong. Go ahead, what were you saying? Go ahead? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just said, incidentally, we uh, the wine we paired it with <laughs> was, uh, it's a Tarantes Riesling blend from Argentina. There you go. Right. So, what's not to like about, first of all, bacon. apple picking and then adding bacon to that. Um, so, if you do that again this year... Just let me know where you're at. I'll come by. <laughs> um, but we we um, we spent a lot of time talking about bacon and what bacon can do for your foods. It's a flavorful fat, and one of the things that you know we often forget in in a very like health conscious um, you know food kind of media world is that fat is what delivers flavor across our palate. And and we talk about this in episode 18 of the podcast. Now that's a mouthful. But we talk specifically about bacon fat. And this is a fantastic application. So, you know, thinking about um, what Mike did and then go back and listen to episode 18, you'll be like, whoa, that just takes it to a whole new level. Mm. Hey, thank you very much for your call and happy Thanksgiving, Mike. Happy Thanksgiving. That's just a a, a great combination. I think, uh, you know, apple butter. Who would ever think of apple butter on, on turkey? Uh, well, you have apple pie, right? Right, right. Uh, well, so why not? Okay, we have something else, apple, coming up here. Ooh. And uh, just, uh, let's see, Sam is in Lidditz. Sam, you're on the air. 
Hey, Sam? Oh, Sam's not there anymore, but what I wanted to mention is that uh, Sam says the best turkey he's ever had uh, was smoked with apple wood. Apple wood. There you go. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, smoked turkeys are fantastic. Let's go to Vicki in Camp Hill. Vicki, you're on the air. Oh, I'm trying to find my bunt pan because I want to make that turkey. <laughs> <laughs> well, just take a, take a deep breath, press pause, and say, okay, Where's my bump pan? I had to do that just yesterday. Um, As you heard me say earlier, we had people over for dinner. And I don't remember what I was looking for, but I was like, okay, so this is one of those times where it gets put away in the wrong spot. And then I realized I was looking in the wrong spot, and I was the one that put it away in the wrong spot. But, yeah, it will come back to you. Yeah, I think the last time I used it was 1980, so I'm a little nervous. You'll find Um, it. So I was in New York, and I um, was at a restaurant, and they had a side dish called corn and sweet potato pudding. Corn and sweet potato. Corn and sweet potato pudding. And I thought, oh, this is great because no one ever eats a sweet potato, and everyone likes to bake corn, and that's one side dish instead of two. Right. So I've been looking all over the Internet, and everything I find is way, way too sweet. Right. And it kind of reminded me of the traditional baked corn, you know, that has sour cream and butter and mm-hmm. cans of corn. Is, so with the, the recipes that you're looking at, with the sweetness, is it coming from what, maple syrup or? Right, all these different types of syrups. And this was more savory. I mean, it had, it had green pepper in it, and it had, it had a bread consistency, like a cornbread consistency. And then it had little bits of corn in it and then chunks of sweet potato and... Pep, like little bits of uh, red pepper and green pepper. So it sounds more like um, a, a savory bread pudding. So if you're looking for a recipe or if you're going to search online, search for savory bread puddings or savory um, uh, cornbread pudding, savory um, uh, uh, sweet okay. potato pudding. But then do exactly what you said. You know, I mean, you already know what the flavor profile is. It has the earth vegetables. It's got the... Um, it's got the corn, it's got the sweet potatoes, it's got some um, green peppers. Uh, use bacon, use bacon fat in it. Bacon, that's good. Yeah, bacon and bacon fat would be awesome. Um, you know, if you you want to balance out that sweetness, um, you know, maybe just a, maybe a little a little orange zest or a little orange juice. Um, I would go with seasonings like nutmeg, clove, cinnamon. Um, you know, anything that just really pulls that down into the earthy. Um, earthy flavor profile instead of, um, you know, lifting it up into something sweet. But, yeah, do a search for savory bread pudding. Okay, that's because I was looking yesterday. I thought, well, I'm just we're just going to have baked corn again and see what <laughs> But now I have hope. Yeah, no, <laughs> and, and, you know, and you probably, you're, you're probably not too far off, and I would be willing to bet um, if you just sort of take a deep breath and think about what that, what that, uh, side dish was what it looked like, what it tastes like, what it smelled like. I mean, eighty percent of what we call taste is actually smell. So you would probably be able to start pulling it out. Was there, you know, what what was the creamy base? Was it more custardy? Then you know, you're going to look for a bread pudding recipe. Uh, if it was just more cream based, then you're going to look more for like a creamed uh, sweet potato recipe or a creamed corn recipe, and just start combining them. And before you know, you you start putting ingredients together, just think it through in your mind. I mean, basically, this is what we call cooking with our mental mind or tasting with our mental mouth, if you work uh-huh. through that, uh, you know, you, you'll almost intuitively know yes to this, no to that. Um, let's combine these steps and, uh, you know, you're off to the races. And experiment. Yeah, and then let well, us know Well, if how I it figure out. it out, I'll send it to you. Right. And I want to recommend a, ca- um, a New York Cab Franc. Oh. Thanksgiving wine. Ca- okay, so yeah, last night we were we opened two cab francs and they were spectacular. Yes, and mm-hmm. again, there's that earthiness to them and a little bit of spice. So uh, perfect pairing for Thanksgiving. Thanks. Hey, thank you very much for your call and happy Thanksgiving happy to you thanks, too. Happy Vicky. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guest today is Chef Donna Desfort. She hosts the Now That's a Mouthful podcast, WITF Cooks TV shows, and owner of There's a Chef in My Kitchen. We're talking about Thanksgiving dinner come Thursday. If you have a question or a comment or something you'd like to add, we've been asking that question today. Best turkey you ever made, best turkey you've ever tasted, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at org. You also can leave uh, something on uh, WITF. 
WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at SmartTalkWITF. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. We have some open lines right now if you'd like to give us a call, but let's get a few emails in here, Donna. Okay. Uh, we use a cooker called the Charbroil the Big Easy. It's an oil-free turkey fryer. Best appliance we've ever been given. Just season the turkey, put it inside the fryer, and turn it on. Low-calorie, crispy skin, tender meat. And the best part is you don't have to tend to it at all. It's just wonderful. Makes amazing rotisserie chicken, too. Wow. I'm not familiar with that product, but I might have to go out and get one. That sounds like uh, one of those... uh, commercials you see on tv the half hour (laughs) call 1-800 tender turkey yeah well (laughs) but why not right and you know and it's i mean everybody loves the deep fried turkeys and they are amazing but if this takes you know the danger the danger factor away um i vote yes well the way it's described there uh, it, it it sounds as if uh, there's nothing wrong about it. So, well, and, I mean, and especially if you get to choose the seasonings, too. Yeah. I mean, salt and pepper is great. Uh, we talked a little bit about citrus earlier and some fresh herbs. But, you know, in those applications, um, uh, you know, or when when you're going to be seasoning your bird, you know, I mean, you can be thinking about things like, um, you know, using... Um, hickory uh, smoked seasoning blends. I mean, you can go into the grocery store now and, I mean, the spice rack is almost gone. It's mostly just blends. Um, but, you know, poultry blends, um, there's all these grilling blends. And, um, you know, if if that application allows you to choose, you know, you might want a little smoked bird. So why not use a hickory smoke blend or something like that or an applewood smoke blend? Well, Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Steph says, best turkey, hands down, was when a family member decided to smoke it with apple-soaked wood chips. Oh, and I think my grandmother's secret to green bean casserole included the following. Butter, butter, and even more butter. Well, okay, so (laughs) that takes care of the green bean casserole. Um, But, yeah, so um, I will will admit that one of the best turkeys I ever had was my brother-in-law. He was tending the turkey when we got there and, you know, uh, filling the the base of the grill with these soaked applewood chips. And I'm not a fan of smoke because a lot of times it just is, you know, you you go from having just a very elegant smoked kiss kind of flavor to it's like licking an ashtray. Not that I've (laughs) ever done it, but... Um, so yeah, so when you get that right, it's just it, there's just an incredibly moist flavor to that turkey, and then you just get that hit of smoke, like it came from the outdoors, which it did. Um, and you know, and an easier way to get that done faster, um, and we've talked about this from time to time, is um, butterflying your. I mean, we talk about it in terms of butterflying your chicken, but you can do it with your turkey too. And it's the technique is called spatchcocking. But basically, you you know you just cut up along the spine, uh, you know, spread that bird open, break down the the breastbone, and so now you've got a flat piece of meat. So it cooks faster. You can get more of the area covered and smoked faster, uh, you'll get it to the table a lot quicker, and you have um, a better chance of not over-smoking. Tom asks, I know it's important not to carve the turkey immediately, but let it rest to allow it to reabsorb the juices. What's a good rule of thumb for resting time? Well, they say, the they. Yeah, who is they? They, you know, the they, the, the they people that tell you how to cook everything. They say 20 minutes. I don't think that's enough time. I really don't. I would say... A minimum half hour, I would even go 45 minutes because it's, I mean, unless you're cooking a small turkey, you've got all of those juices now at the surface. And, you know, if you think like, okay, like these are just little juices here, they they need to find their way back into the meat. They have to get back to the bone. They have to get back to the cavity. That's, you know, some parts of the chicken, that's quite a far way to travel and where we want the most juice is in the breastbone, and that's the thickest part of the meat. So, um, yeah, I would say my rule of thumb, when it's done, pull it out, tent it with some heavy-duty aluminum foil. You don't have to, like, cover it because it's going to continue to cook, um, you know, but just tent it and let it breathe a little, but give it a good half hour, 45 minutes. If you can stretch it to 45 minutes, 
I don't think you'll be disappointed. And and your turkey's not going to be it's not going to be cold. So I have to admit that uh, that's too long. It tempts me. It's too long. Yeah. Well, okay. I I'm not disagreeing with you, but from a personal no, you basis, are no, I'm not. No, I'm saying <laughs> I say listen to Donna, but I am also saying that I find it too tempting to not pick little pieces of turkey. Right. So then a, we can blame a, you for all the juices that seep out from where you're picking all those little pieces off. You're, you and my husband, like, you can... Let you, he does like, the same thing? Oh, my God. I cannot even have him in the kitchen with me. Well, see, that's, you and know. then And then when the pan, like, the bottom of the pan is just, like, filled with all this extra juice, I'm like, mm-hmm. We know who is here. Okay. I, I'll try. Yeah. I will try. Hour. Minimum um, half hour. Okay. I'm not, again, I'm not disagreeing with the amount of time. I'm just saying that I have no willpower, and if that... that Odor is coming through that, you know, that the fragrances, <laughs> the, aroma. Of the, the aroma, there you go, yeah. the aroma of the turkey. I cannot help it but to just reach in there and pick. Well, that is a true testament to whoever is in your kitchen cooking because I'm pretty sure, Scott, it's not you. How do you know that? Uh, I've heard you, uh, well, I've actually seen you cook. So. <laughs> For your family's sake, I, I, will I hope admit it's that. not you. I will admit that. I will admit that. <laughs> hey, today, and you, whenever you're on the program, you always bring some goodies along. Oh, yeah. And uh, I had an opportunity to sample. And these were a few of the recipes from Now That's a Mouthful. So what did you bring today, and how was it made? Well, so uh, I went back to one of our very first episodes, and... One of the things that our testing community just were, they were over the moon about, and it was homemade ricotta. And it comes from Ina Garden's Cooking for Jeffrey cookbook, and, and the recipe is online at nowthatsamouthful.org. But it's, it's really a crostini recipe. It's a butternut squash and caramelized onion um, crostini, but she tells you how to make homemade ricotta. So, you know, again, getting ready for this dinner party, you know, having butternut squash on hand for Thanksgiving, I was like, well, what can I do with it? And instantly I went back to this recipe. So you make your ricotta and then you just basically steam saute. I mean, she tells you to roast it, but I just steamed uh, my butternut squash in my skillet and then I did the same thing with the onions and added a little maple balsamic vinegar at the end and so now uh, we have these wonderful crostinis with a uh, little multi-grain bread and I, I did bring in some cranberry walnut bread we just slather a little bit of the ricotta then you layer a little bit of the butternut squash and that's seasoned with a splash of apple cider vinegar and maple syrup so you've got you know that earthiness that tang and then just you know like a, just a kiss of sweetness to round it all out and then you put these caramelized onions on top it's fabulous and then the other recipe we had the ricotta so uh, i you know i was um i was at a little spa resort last weekend i think or two weekends ago and uh, you know they were all they're all about healthy eating um but this peanut butter delight showed up on the breakfast bar every morning and i was like well i don't know what's in there but peanut butter is always at the top of my list so it's just ricotta peanut butter, a little bit of honey. I used um, nutmeg, cinnamon, um, some some grated uh, cocoa nibs, and um, did I say honey? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and a, just a splash of vanilla bean. And then the ricotta, you know, just like whiz it all together in your food processor, pop it in the refrigerator, and you get this amazing spread. So, you know, it's great for fruit. It's great for breakfast in the morning. I mean, both of these dips or, you know, spreads are amazing for breakfast. You can have a savory uh, butternut squash, and you can have the, the sweeter peanut butter. It's just, But, you know, again, we know what we like. We have recipes that, you know, we can always go back and say, well, you know, I've got this extra ricotta. What can I do with it? Oh, yeah, I remember, you know, like uh, like our friend Vicky was saying, uh, she had this amazing dessert or, or this side dish with the cream corn and the, the sweet potato. Well, what do I want to taste? And you start thinking about how you wrap it in. Same thing with the peanut butter. I was like, okay, ricotta peanut butter, what else do you add? And, you know, all those wonderful flavors wrap in. I have an email here that says... Uh and it's it's under the heading of creative leftover ideas because Ooh. we know that Thanksgiving there is so much food 
there also are a lot of uh, leftovers. I have to admit that I love the leftovers almost as much as yes. as the, the meal itself. And depending on what size turkey, and again, I'm not disagreeing with you on a size turkey, but with I me about might, everything. might go a little bigger because I like uh, the leftovers. I just invite fewer people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I won't even touch that. But uh, <laughs> here's the creative leftover idea: use big tortillas and make Thanksgiving burritos. <gasps> I love that idea. I do too. Yeah. Okay. So you know. Okay. So I know we we keep going back to the podcast, but um, one of the cookbooks that we cooked from it was dinner by Melissa Clark, and she talks about how you wrap in all of these cultural cuisines, and you know you take. Your leftovers and and a burrito is a beautiful. I mean, you have everything you need to make it on your Thanksgiving table. So why not? Mm. All right. So I'm putting you on the spot here, oh, but I, uh, I promised this uh, as as well. We've been talking about uh, a lot about turkey, understandably. Um, talked a little bit about the side dishes, but what about dessert? Any yeah. ideas for a a Simple, let's, 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 let's say it this way, let's describe it this way. A simple dessert that may be a little bit different. A simple <laughs> dessert that maybe. Yeah. Uh, Come on. Okay. You have that so, whole podcast recipes to choose from there. You have a whole list in front of you. Well, I, I do. Um, but interestingly enough, you know, a lot of the, the recipes we were not testing around Thanksgiving. So, True, but it doesn't have to be a Thanksgiving dessert. You're right. It doesn't. Okay, so, you know, apples. We were talking about apples earlier. Okay. Um, you know, you could do a, an apple tart tatin, which um, that's from uh, French cooking, French French country cooking. Um, and, you know, just like an apple upside down cake. So use apples, which are amazingly delicious right now and in season. I would suggest, you know, maybe changing up the apples using a little bit of Granny Smith, a little bit of, you know, tart sweet, and then a little bit of sweet so you get a really nice complex flavor of um, of apples in, in that tart. Um, and, and that's super, super fun and super delicious, right? Um, carrot cake? That's more Easter. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking more of when it comes to carrots, glazed carrots. And yeah, those. I don't think you want to take those glazed carrots and then no. crush them down into. Um, no. I, I think I think a lot of um, what I like with my pumpkin pie, like I don't buy the pumpkin pie filling. I buy regular pumpkin and then I layer my spices in, put a little bourbon in there. Put a little, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would even put bacon in my pastry crust. If you're going to make your crust, I would use bacon fat in my in my um, in my pastry crust, my pie crust, and then just put your um, your pumpkin pie or even your apple pie. And then when you serve your apple pie, if you're going to serve it warm and you're going to serve it with uh, vanilla ice cream, why not shred some cheddar cheddar cheese over it and let that cheddar cheese start to melt. Or uh, you know, melt some uh, the, some melt some Velveeta and just drizzle that all around, and you know, take that because that's such a that's such a um, Central Pennsylvania Dutch German um, kind of combination. Do you, like, this, do you like mince meat? Uh, Me either. It's a uh, you know what? Why not? Well, why not use your Thanksgiving table too and your dessert table to bridge the holiday and you know introduce Christmas because you know it's it's um, Christmas. The Christmas is Christmas is the next day. Um, (laughs) But yeah, yeah, I mean you you know you could start wrapping in things like a hot chocolate bar or um, you know peppermint or you know in your after um, after Thanksgiving you know everybody needs a little aperitif or um, I guess it's not an aperitif at that point. Um, But you know a little after dinner drink. um, But why not serve you know a little bit of peppermint schnapps in your coffee or your hot cocoa. Um, you know, and, and do fun things like that. You know, bridge the season and and little gingerbread. Why not? Now, I know you're not a big baker. I try. I try. I try. But one of the big questions that arises at this time of year, of course, there are a lot of people just go out and buy the pie. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, but when that's you fine. get it home, get your like best pie server plate out. Take it out of the the tin foil one that it comes in the store. Put it in your pie plate, and then take it to everybody. And they'll be like, "Oh, 
you baked a pancake? Yes, I did. <laughs> why does it say Mrs. Smith on the side? No, no, that's why you take it out and but put it in your thing. Do you have ideas on creating pie crust? Um, you know, I I go to the stand. I, I my my one singular fallback is um, Martha Stewart makes a great pastry pie crust, and I use that. But I I'm never afraid to do things like add bacon fat or add another flavorful fat. If we, you know, we did this um, a couple times on the podcast where we were um, making different layered dishes, um, you know, and people were adding in savory olive oils, you know, like brushing their crusts or their um, phyllo doughs, uh, you know, with a, with a seasoned bake, uh, basting oil. So, you know, that's always fun if you have a savory kind of dish. I mean, a lot of people, you know, are starting to think about, like, the Italian dinners and the Italian um, celebratory dinners at Christmas time. So why not do something like that for your Thanksgiving table? Again, you know, bridging traditions and, um, you know, if you're serving tomatoes and tomato pies, why not use a savory element in your pie crust? We only have a minute left, less than a minute. But, but something I do want to bring up, you just touched on traditions. A few years ago on this program, we had a, a listener talk about uh, videotaping, and you can do it very easily when the young people, kids are in the kitchen with grandma or your mom or dad, whatever, and keep that as a kind of like a, a family remembrance. And I remember at the time, but I'll repeat it again this year. I just think that was a fabulous idea. It is. I mean, these are the moments that you don't ever get back. Savor everything. Savor the smells. Talk to your grandmother when she's in the kitchen and she's cooking. Ask her where this recipe came from, how many times she's cooked it, what her favorite memory of the holiday is. And Share your ideas, and then over the years, you'll see children grow, families evolve, and really what those traditions become, but they're forever saved, and, and it's really special. Chef Donna Desfour is the host of Now That's a Mouthful, and you can hear the podcast. They're still available at WITF.org and uh, see the recipes and uh, learn about the recipes as well. She also hosts WITF Cook's TV show. Donna, thank you very much, and happy Thanksgiving to you and uh, your family as well. Thank you, Scott. You as well. Coming up uh, tomorrow, we're going to talk a lot about bears. Bear population in Pennsylvania is growing. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a trusted resource in our communities. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, bringing quality care to your community through Harrisburg, Community Osteopathic, West Shore, Carlisle, Hanover, Lancaster, Lidditz, and Memorial Hospitals. More information is available at upmcpinnacle.com.